Let's open the Word of God to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we are considering the subject of higher ground for our personal lives and for our church. A simple concept of wanting to do better, reach higher, increase and grow more and more in the things that measure a successful Christian and a great church. We recently had our 35-year anniversary of this church, and we had many things to be thankful for, and we were not thankful for the things that most churches are thankful for during their histories, and that is things like graduations and marriages and children being born and so forth. While those things are true and we're thankful for them, the things that we were thankful for is how the Lord has led us over 35 years, weeding out false doctrine and false practices and showing us more and more truth of His Word in a time when truth is being exchanged on every side for fables. We're very thankful that He has led us away from the fables and toward His truth during that period of time. But we don't want to be content or complacent with our church on where we've achieved or where we are. We want to press on and thus this series of messages. I've been away from it for a few weeks because we interrupted it to cover the fear of the Lord, which is truly one of the things we want to increase in, and also to cover affliction and suffering. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 is the text I've chosen of many describing reaching for higher ground. The Thessalonian church was a good church. It's one that is commended and has few problems in it like some of the others, for example, Corinth. But this first verse, Paul reaches for more for them and, ex- and exhorts them to more. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. The apostle here is stating that he is beseeching them, begging, pleading, exhorting, and asking them to take what he had already taught them and to increase in it more and more. Because he had taught them how they were supposed to live the Christian life and how they could please God. And he wanted them to increase in pleasing God, and he appealed to them by the authority of the Lord Jesus there in the first half of the verse. There are verses like this throughout the New Testament where the apostles exhort congregations to reach higher, to increase, to abound, to do more and more, and there can never be a limit on what we can give the Lord. Remember, it is the apostle Paul that said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It was Paul pressing. And we would look at Paul's life and say, oh, to have Paul's life, how could you give the Lord any more? But Paul didn't see it that way. Paul said, I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended. I still have a race to run. My position at the end of three laps in a mile race, doesn't matter. It's how will I run my last lap to finish my race for the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this sermon series is perfecting our church by God's inspired goals for a church and God's inspired goals for our personal growth. This verse that I've just read to you, though it's only one of many, mentions abounding more and more in godliness. And that's what we want to do as a church and as families and as persons. By God's grace, we want to identify targets or traits of the best churches and the best Christians to pursue them. We want to hate the status quo. We don't want to be content with what is normal or average or routine. We don't want a form of godliness without the power. We don't want a good church. We want a great church as measured by the Lord for His glory and the profit of others, not for our names at all. 
you should not want to be a good Christian because anything less than the best is losing. According to 1 Corinthians 9 and verses 24 through 27, where the apostle said, they that run in a race run all. There's a whole bunch of participants in a race, but only one gets the prize. And that concept of only one being the best, getting the prize, is how Paul said, so run, so run that ye may obtain. Obtain what? An incorruptible crown given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the overcomers. We all want to be those overcomers. We all want to win the race of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Now last evening, many of you read 2 Chronicles chapter 6 that was Solomon's dedicatory prayer for the temple that he built that David designed and gathered the materials for. My wife said last night to me as we were reading through several of these chapters in 1 Chronicles that she hadn't realized that God had inspired David to write the blueprints of every aspect of that temple. Every room, every decoration, every accessory, every altar, laver, candlestick, clothing, the order of the priest that would praise the Lord, all of that, by God's hand upon him, David designed the whole thing. All Solomon did was put together a puzzle. David drew the blueprint. David gathered the materials. Solomon connected the Lego blocks. Because when David died, he had it all there. It says glistering stones and marble and brass and iron without measure. It couldn't be weighed. And gold and silver, all the things necessary, all the workmen David had assembled. But God did not want David to build it, so David did everything God would allow him to do. And that spirit is what set David apart. And so when Solomon took office, it only took him a few years to assemble the parts that uh, David had gathered for him. But here in 1 Chronicles 22, humor your pastor by hearing a verse that I love to use, and I've already used it once this morning. David is at the end of his life, and the angel has just sheathed his sword on Mount Moriah, from killing 70,000 of the Israelites. And David says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 22, David said, This is the house of the Lord God. By God's hand upon him, he knew that that spot where he had just built an altar to thank God for the angel of the Lord sheathing his sword after killing 70,000 men would be the spot of the temple. And this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Let's split this congregation in half and say that half of us are getting ready to die. Because we're in the second half of our lives. And the other half of the church is in the front half of their lives. They are the ones that are young and tender. And we want to leave them a house that is exceeding magnifical of fame and glory throughout all countries. We want to leave them the best church that we possibly can. On our way out, let's run our last lap faster than we ran our first three laps by the grace of God. Let's do what David did. He's on his way out. But instead of retiring and playing checkers on the front porch, he is gathering with all his might 
And did he ever gather? The sums of the things that David gathered for this temple are not matched anywhere else in the Bible. This is a great example for us. Let's make our church as great as it can be. And that is not a building. The church isn't a building in the New Testament. That was the Old Testament. As Paul would describe it, the carnal, the weak, the rudimentary, the elementary, and the worldly way of worshiping God. We have the spiritual and better way of worshiping God built on better promises with a better priest and a better altar and better sacrifices and a better covenant. We have everything better. But it has nothing to do with the building. Most churches get way too excited about their building program when the real building of a church are the living stones in the pulpit and the pews working together to grow spiritually unto a holy temple in the Lord. Those are Bible words of the New Testament. We want to grow unto a holy temple in the Lord. And we want to make it the best that we can. We love the story of David's desire to build God a house and the pains he took to prepare for it. We want to be like him. He had defeated God's enemies. It tells us that. When he got the idea, he had defeated all his enemies. Do you know what a king can do that has a harem after he has defeated all his enemies? He can kick back, relax, and enjoy life. But not David. In 2 Samuel 1, David sitting back and realizing that he now had peace from all his enemies and he had put all nations that touched Israel under tribute from the Euphrates to the Nile. They were all pouring money into Israel because he had defeated them and put them under tribute. They were paying for the house of the Lord. I like the way that David arranged it. And you know, we're being supported by the pagan government of the United States to build this house in financial terms. When you take a deduction off your income tax return, the United States government subsidizes your giving to this church. By reducing your taxes. And so the abortionists and pagans and atheists and agnostics in this nation end up paying more in taxes while you pay less in taxes because our government is affecting a transfer of wealth from the pagans to the believers. You say, did they they ever think about that? I don't think they ever thought about it. (laughs) At least not the current generation. The Lord just did it in His providential government of all nations. And we rejoice in that fact. And if you want to read more about that, there is this crazy little document on our website entitled, God Bless the IRS. Gold, timbers, and stones were only for the Old Testament. We're the living stones. That should be exciting. How glistering are you today? That's how David described them as glistering stones. Are you glistering? Are you a polished cornerstone in the house of our God? That's a goal for all of us. Lord, help us to be all that we should be to build this temple up to be a holy dwelling place for you. We need Paul's attitude. Look at Philippians chapter 3, and that is, as we press ahead, some of this is review, but it has been several weeks, and review never never hurt anyone. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-15 through 15, that while he was alive, he would not stop reminding them of the things they already knew and were well established in. And so I do the same. I want you to remember that especially the second half or the older half of this church to remember that we have a race to finish. Paul said... Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Philippians 3.13, I count not myself to have apprehended. When I look at my life, I don't measure myself as being an overachiever. I haven't finished yet. I have not apprehended. And verse 12 tells us that for which I was apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, but this one thing I do. This is the focus of his life. One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forget anything you've done for Christ. 
Forget all in your past. It doesn't matter now. What matters now is how you're going to run your race today. How you're going to run your race for the rest of your life. And so Paul said in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One thing was driving the Apostle Paul, and that was to forget everything he'd achieved. Now he knew that he had worked hard. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. He outworked the other apostles. He knew it. He said it. It wasn't boasting of in an ungodly way. It was boasting in a godly way of giving an example to a church that disrespected Paul. But here he is saying, he's forgetting all that to press for the prize. He wants the prize. He wants the gold medal of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was going to press toward the mark. That is the finish line that is out there in front of you as you come down the home stretch on a track that we're used to in our nation and is used around the world. The finish line is at the end of a hundred meter home stretch. And he's pressing toward that in the latter part of his life. Now he goes on to say, after describing himself, he says in verse 15, let us therefore the church at Philippi, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. All of you should have the same attitude that I do, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Run your race like I'm running mine, and like the other apostles are running theirs. And so we have this encouragement from the Word of God for us to run our race as well. We want to identify the things important, especially to the Apostle Paul, because he is the Apostle of the Gentiles found in the New Testament for churches. We want to find what God inspired through Paul's pen to write down what marks a good church. Better yet, what marks a great church. We want to find those things and incorporate them into this church that we might be a great church in the sight of God as measured by the Pauline epistles. That's our goal. Look at Revelation chapter 2. You know, some of these things are devastatingly severe as the Lord Jesus Christ walks among the seven golden candlesticks. Those seven golden candlesticks represented the seven churches of Asia. And Revelation chapter 1 tells us that Jesus walked among those seven churches, measuring them, looking at them, examining them, inspecting them. And so the first church he inspected in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, is the church of Ephesus. And he says this in verse 2, I know thy works. You may count along if you wish in your mind. That's the first thing he noticed. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. That is nine good things that the church at Ephesus was doing. The Apostle Paul started the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 by spending two years with them. This is a number of years later where Jesus Christ tells John some issues that he has with this church at Ephesus that Paul started. We have an epistle to this church by Paul. We have a letter from Jesus Christ to this church right here in these verses that are in the red writing in your Bibles. Nine good things. Nine commendations. But look at the first verse, the first word, excuse me, of verse 4. Nevertheless, in spite of those nine things, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. 
And that candlestick is the Holy Spirit of the living God that inhabits the churches of Jesus Christ. They were going to lose the Holy Spirit. They would continue as an organization, but they would no longer be an organism, a living thing. They would be the congregation of the dead, as it is described in the book of Proverbs. A horrible judgment on a church. They had nine good things, but they had lost their first love. And so one of the things that we want to be asking ourselves is about our spirits and our hearts, our affection and our fervency about the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have the right doctrine and be without a candlestick. We can have zeal. We can try false teachers and show that they're liars and be without the candlestick or be without first love on the verge of losing our candlestick. We do not want anything like that to happen to us. Lord, help us and have mercy upon us. A church is a band of believers with the Holy Spirit's presence, that is the presence of God, for God's ordained and designed societal spiritual growth. God has, has ordained that we just don't grow spiritually on our own. He wants us to grow together unto a holy temple in the Lord. I'm a loner by nature. If I could have things my way, my fleshly self, I'd never see anyone but my wife. I don't like people. They're a pain and a problem. I'm describing my fleshly self. But God said, that isn't the way I do it. I want a temple. And so instead of me sending an ambassador to the king of the Zidonians, or to the king of Tyre, to get stones and cedars out of those nations, I have to become a living stone and help all of you be living stones in a societal group of people God has brought together, and that is what He considers a holy temple. And that is more than enough for me. I will hit the silver lever on everything I think about people, on everything I think about getting outside myself and my comfort zone of an office and a computer, a refrigerator and a wife. I'm very simple. And I'm here today. And you're here today. And we're both here today for the same reason. The Lord wants a holy temple unto Him. Let's give Him the best. Thus, this sermon series, whether it turns out to be worth preaching, is going to be left in the blessing of God. But I'm telling you the reason for the preaching. I don't want to be content with the last 35 years and the four crossings of the Red Sea that the Lord blessed us with during those years I want us to be an exceeding magnificent temple that the Holy Spirit thrives in, empowers us through, and blesses us, and prepares us all to depart this world and to be with Christ, which is far better, and to leave a lasting place on earth for our children, who are young and tender, to grow up in this place. And to have the truth of God, but more than the truth of God, the Spirit of God, for a relationship and fellowship and joy with Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. Two are better than one for four reasons. Solomon taught in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, a threefold cord is not easily broken. A church is powerful with a blessing of the Spirit of God among them. What a great thing we can have. Lord, help us to fulfill our one another duties that the New Testament teaches. This study is win, win, win. A better church, a better church glorifies God better. A better church is going to benefit you spiritually. A better church is going to prepare you to meet the Lord Jesus Christ the moment after you die or He comes for us. It's win, win, win. Look at Romans chapter 1, and let's see the apostolic emphasis on always pressing for more. Romans chapter 1. We can do better. David wanted to do much better. He wanted it to be exceeding magnificent. He said, the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. It's got to be the best. 
Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us that the God that we worship is a great king and deserves our very best. Now notice the first epistle of Paul is Romans. Romans 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now that's a good church. And so it's getting high praise. Verse 11, but I, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Though your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world because your church is in the shadow of the pagan Roman government, there's still some things that I would like to establish you in. And then we flip over to chapter 12, which is one place that we could go in this epistle, and let's just read the first two verses. The point I'm trying to make with these verses right here, right now, is that the apostles' pattern was to always be pushing the church to do better. How many coaches take their football teams at halftime and tell them, that was great. Guys, relax in the second half. That was outstanding. Take it easy. You can lose a game so fast in the second half, taking it easy and relaxing. You want to finish the game right. That's what counts so most, counts so much. And it's true with life. And it's true with the job. And, you know, we don't want to retire on the job and we don't want to retire as Christians in the house of the Lord. So, Paul gives the church at Rome 11 chapters of Bible doctrine. And then he says these words in the first two verses of chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren. Now this is the church whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then there are five chapters of the things they should be doing better. The church whose faith was spoken of throughout the whole world got 11 chapters of doctrine and five chapters of these are the things you ought to be doing better. And so is the New Testament. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you remember that in Romans chapter 14 it was all about Christian liberty? And how many sermons we spent on that a couple of years ago in finishing up the epistle to the Romans of how we should treat each other in matters of liberty? Remember Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 about our submission to higher authority, the powers that be, are ordained of God? We learn things there. We learn things throughout those five chapters of things that we can do to please God and how we ought to walk. But the apostles want us to abound in those things more and more. That's what we're doing. It's simple. It's simple. The key is, are you submissive enough to the will of God? Are you eager enough for the will of God that you can see the will of God in these verses and embrace it for yourself and for your family and for this church? That's the key. I can't do that for you. God the Holy Spirit can do it if you haven't grieved Him or quenched Him. He wants you to embrace this idea. He wants you to get better and better. He will give you the energy, strength, power, conviction, and assurance of it. Lord help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the last verse. But we all, New Testament Christians, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, this is what we want. This chapter describes Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, and his face was glowing because he'd been in the presence of God, so that the Israelites couldn't look at him, so he had to put a veil over his face. And the Old Testament had glory? Paul spends the middle part of this chapter explaining that if the Old Testament had glory, how much more glory is there in the New Testament because the New Testament is superior to the Old by every measure. Well, Moses came down and had a veil over his face. 
But now, there is no veil. Jesus Christ and the glory of God are presented plainly to us, and we can behold Him as in a glass. There's no veil. It's as if we're looking in a mirror, and we can see the details of the glory of God, and we can be changed from glory to glory, advancing stages of glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our goal. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it was according to God's great and exceeding great promises, becoming partakers of the divine nature through the Holy Spirit, enabling us with power in our inner man to grow from glory to glory, to advance. What a wonderful verse here. The glory of God we're talking about. And we can behold it and see it, and we're changed into the same image. Do you know that your new man is created as a copy of the Lord Jesus Christ? The image of Him who created Him? We have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the last two verses. It's a tremendous blessing to be a Christian and to have the comforting power of the Holy Spirit in our lives unquenched. That's what we want as a church. All I'm doing is giving you examples right now, and there are so many of them, of the apostles wanting us to advance, wanting us to increase, wanting us to abound, wanting us to reach for perfection. Can we be absolutely perfect without any sin whatsoever? No. That's condemned in the Bible as being false and a lie. But can we advance to where we're considered perfect in the sight of God? Yes, we can. And it's not all that hard. It's His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And the more you do what He wants you to do, He'll give you power by the Holy Spirit to do more than that. And to do more than that and to do it more cheerfully than you've ever done anything before. He's able to do that. He's the Comforter with a capital C. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And Paul did things you won't even have to think about doing. The few things that you have to do are nothing compared to Paul and what he did. Lord, oh Lord, help us. There are so many places we could turn. Let's just go to Jude and get the end of them. Well, it's not the end because you got the book of Revelation that spends a whole lot of verses about being overcomers. But let's look at Jude. Jude, every epistle in the New Testament from Romans to Revelation has verses in it that are pressing us to be a better church, to be better Christians. He's the Lord that we serve. He deserves the best. He's given us the Word of God. We have the manual to be the best. There's nothing holding us back. We have more liberties to worship God more freely and more easily than anyone else. There's people being persecuted and losing their lives for being Christians today in our world. But you, we don't have that. We can give Him a living sacrifice of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's get our minds excited about this project of making our church exceeding magnificent and your family and our souls. Jude. Verse 20, But ye, beloved, and the Holy Spirit speaks to each of you, and God addresses you as His dear children, and I address you as His ambassador. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. That is a nice short sentence in the Bible describing what it means to be a Christian. You are beloved of God. He has chosen us and adopted us to be His children. We're to build up ourselves. You can build yourself up. You know, there are some in the church right now engaged in some bodybuilding. They're engaged in some weightlifting. And they call it bodybuilding. Those that engage in lifting weights for appearance purposes. It's called bodybuilding. You know, they want to enhance their physique and they want to be stronger. But this text says that we can build up ourselves. It's bodybuilding of a church sort. And it's bodybuilding of a personal sort. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. God's given us the faith and God's given us the faith. 
the doctrine of the apostles. He's given us both. He's enabled us. He's given us the weight set. Whatever He's given us the nutrients. He's given us everything we need, and we're supposed to pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, the three points that we've covered so far, and the third one's for today, is Christ central. Jesus preeminent in our church. Number two, the importance of the Holy Spirit. And number three, praying. But notice this. To build yourselves up, you pray in the Holy Ghost. Combining number two and three. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We can't be separated from the love of God as far as God's love of us. Romans 8 tells us that. But you have to keep yourselves in loving God because every day your flesh, the world, and the devil tries to take you away from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You have to keep yourselves in it. And we need each other to help keep ourselves in it. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What should we be looking for? The next promotion? Another child? A bigger house? A nicer car? What should we be looking for? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much jam-packed into these two verses about what I want to accomplish in this sermon series. I hope you can see it right there. The perspective is heavenly. The keeping is keeping ourselves loving God. The praying is in the Holy Ghost. And it's building up ourselves on the most holy faith that God's given us. We have a body of knowledge that's been revealed to us the likes of which the world hardly knows. And most Christians have missed how much the Lord has shown us from His Word. Not because we're special. Not because we work harder. Because He's gracious kind and merciful. And we want to build ourselves up on what He's given us. He's given us a Mount Zion that we ought to be excited about building on. The first thing that we want to do as a church is to be Christ-centered. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Christ-centered. We want Jesus Christ to be preeminent in all that we do. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the personality of this church. He's the person of this church. We want to come to church to meet, learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul gave us several warnings to this end. 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's Paul's choice as an apostle tipping us off This is one of the things we want in our church. This is all about the Lord Jesus Christ when we come in here. He's first. Look at chapter 3. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, that is if any man builds on Jesus Christ, he better use gold, silver, and precious stones Because wood, hay, and stubble burns up. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, the day of judgment. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work. This is every minister of what sort it is. Because Paul's the wise master builder. Let every man take heed how he builds. Verse 14, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is serious. Look at verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. These verses right here about the temple of God and the body are not the physical body of the believer. This is the body of the local church because this chapter is ministerial in context. This is Paul the wise master builder and other men like Cephas and Apollos building upon the foundation that he laid when he spent 18 months in Corinth and established this church. The purpose I want from these verses right here is the strong warning of point number one. And we want to remember these. Christ-centered. Our church wants to lift up 
the Lord Jesus Christ always. Not social good works. Not a praise band. Not a personality in the pulpit. But a person on the throne of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Verses that should be well known to some. But we have to repeat for all. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. God forbid that I should let anything steal my excitement or distract me from glorying in one preeminent theme. The Lord Jesus Christ. So, thank you Lord for making it so plain in your Word of God that that's what we ought to make chief in our church is the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder your pastor likes 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, there's no debate on this subject. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Who are all six of those phrases about? The Lord Jesus Christ. It is the great mystery of godliness. It's no mystery to us. We understand all six perfectly. It's a mystery to the world because they don't know Christ. If they'd have known Him, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 tells us. There's no controversy. Those six things I just read to you are the most profound, fantastic, glorious events that have happened in the history of the world. God was manifest in the flesh, born of a virgin to Mary of Nazareth. Unbelievable. Scene of angels. There were angels ascending and descending upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified in the Spirit. He could do anything. How long did it take Him to handle the lunatic? The apostles couldn't cast out the devil that was in the lunatic, but Jesus healed him instantly. So forth. Received up into glory. Our Jesus isn't in a manger. He's not hanging on a crucifix. And he's not begging at some heart's door looking for a bowl of soup with his long hair looking like a lady. Our Lord Jesus Christ has white hair and a white face, and eyes like a flame of fire. The Bible tells us, Revelation 1, Revelation 19, and he's sitting on the right hand of God, holding a rod of iron, dashing the nations in pieces, and walking among his churches. He's got a golden girdle around his middle. His feet look like flaming brass, and when he speaks, it's the sound of many waters. Oh, he's glorious. Amen. Jesus told the Jews that they put so much confidence in the Scriptures. He said, search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And that was the Old Testament. Search the Scriptures. You're going to find out that it's testifying of the seed of the woman as early as Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the Son of Righteousness in Malachi chapter 4. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we are thankful that in your words you tell us what should be most important in the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to say with John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. We want to get down and be nothing. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to be up on his throne and to be everything. For you Bible quizzers that are learning the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is very simple. Jesus Christ is the best. Jesus Christ is the most. Jesus Christ is better. And the things that he's compared to in the book of Hebrews are all the things of God's religion of the Old Testament. To convince Hebrews, that is Jews, that the religion they had forsaken of the Jews should be forsaken because they had something better in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that are already memorizing that book of Hebrews for Bible quizzing, it starts off by comparing Jesus to the prophets. And who would you rather hear? 
The prophets tell you something or the Son of God? I thought so. And so did Paul think so as he wrote that epistle. Jesus is better than the angels in the rest of chapters 1 and 2. Jesus is better than Moses in chapter 3. Jesus is better than Joshua in chapter 4. Jesus is better than Israel's Levitical priests in chapters 4 through 10. Jesus is superior to the faithful elders of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And Jesus is superior by a greater kingdom and a greater Jerusalem that is above all. Oh, it's a wonderful... It's my favorite book! And I hope it's for a good reason. It's the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without fighting with Jewish legalists, it's just showing me the Old Testament and that Jesus is better by every comparison. So quizzers, don't just memorize the words. Know what you're memorizing. It's great stuff. Thank you, Lord. I went over a number of things that we can do in our church. And the outline is available. The outline is on our website for us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. What's your favorite sermon about Christ? What's your favorite messianic psalm? What's your favorite song about the Lord Jesus Christ? When was the last time you sung it? When was the last time you listened to it? We don't want to get to heaven for streets of gold. And we don't want to get to heaven to meet mommy and daddy. We want to get to heaven to be with Christ. Paul said it's far better to depart and to be with Christ than anything else. Everything we do, we want to make Jesus Christ preeminent. Jesus has many names in the Bible. What are some of your favorite names of the Lord Jesus? Let's not fret about our government. Jesus reigns. Let's not fret too much about our proverb commentaries because a greater than Solomon is here. Rather than be Baptists, and we are Baptists, we want to be Bible Christians like John was inferior to Jesus. We want to emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that the Lord's taught us is an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. As Baptists, we cannot be afraid, ashamed, or embarrassed of this glorious truth that God has chosen to reveal and interact and relate to us by His Spirit. In the way the Bible presents it, God is on His throne. The Word of God was made flesh and is our mediator who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth, among us, and in us. It's the way God's chosen to reveal Himself in three persons by one God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. I want you to concentrate on your prayers when you're praying for the Holy Spirit. Do not use the pronoun it for the Holy Spirit. It is He. Him and His. He is the one we need. We need Him in us. And the church is His. And His is the power to help us. Lord, help us learn that and not disgrace or offend the Holy Spirit by using some nebulous pronouns for Him that make Him appear to be the force. The force be with you. No! The Holy Spirit of God can be grieved. Forces don't get grieved. Persons get grieved. Lord, help us. Do you remember when it said about the candlestick, lest I remove Him out of His place? His place? Very important. We look at those pronouns in the Bible just like we do in Genesis 3.15 where it says that the devil was going to have trouble with the male singular pronoun seed of the woman. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the presence of God with us. He is the comforter with a capital C. He comforts us and empowers us and strengthens us and reveals Christ to us. He can provide joy or peace in you because He is a spirit that relates to your spirit. You have a spirit. When you die, everything that we can see will still be there. Everything you've got is going to be in the box. Except one thing. And that one thing cannot be seen. It's your spirit. But God cannot be seen either because He is a spirit. And that Spirit 
relates to our spirit and they can communicate on a level beyond this thing and these things. And it's wonderful. God can come inside you and dwell with you and communicate with you and encourage you, comfort you. He can shed abroad the love of God in your hearts. Romans 5, 5. He can shine a light into every nook and cranny of your heart to where you can be overwhelmed by God's love for you. Romans 5, 5. He is the God of hope and He can fill you, listen to the words, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a spirit and communicates with your spirit to give you those things. We're blessed. We want to pray more for Him. Without the Spirit, our church is a dead organization. Without the Spirit, you have no power. You have no assurance. You have no revelation of Christ. You are bankrupt as a Christian. If the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell in you, Listen to these terrible words from Romans chapter 8. If the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell in you, ye are none of His. You are not God's. We want the Holy Spirit in us. Encouraging us, directing us, convicting us, leading us. Revealing Christ to us. He is not just the power of the new birth, though He is that. He is the person of God in us. Men did great things by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and they did great things by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There's three chapters in the middle of John, John 14 through 16, that are all about the gift of the Holy Spirit replacing the person of Christ on earth for His disciples. What a blessing! Jesus could say to His apostles, it is expedient for you that I go away. Now that would be hard to bear. Lord, how in the world could it be expedient that is better, more efficient, more beneficial if you go away? Because I'm going to leave with you the Comforter and my Father and I will dwell with you forever by the Comforter. My Father and I. You want us both? Then let me go. Help me get to the cross. I will purchase for you the gift of the Comforter and you'll have us both forever. That's the triune God dwelling in us. Because if it's the Holy Spirit representing the Father and the Son, it's a mystery. But it's not to us. Because the Bible tells us. How do you get that Spirit? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get baptized. And you get the sealing earnest of the Holy Spirit. And as you obey, and as you pray for more of Him, you get more and more. Colin read to us a passage where the Apostle Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that God, by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit in your new man, will reveal Jesus Christ more and more to you. That was in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 1 said they were already elected people. They were already justified people. Ephesians chapter 2 said they were already regenerated people. Ephesians chapter 2 also said that they were Gentiles brought into union with the Old Testament commonwealth of Israel. And yet in chapter 3 there was still a measure of the Holy Spirit that they had not fully achieved. You will never, never, have all the Holy Spirit that you would ever want or be able to use or be blessed by. Just keep asking for more. We need to be as bold about the Holy Spirit as Elisha was about Elijah's spirit. When Elijah was going to be carried into heaven, he said to Elisha, his understudy, what can I do for you before I go? And Elisha said, I want twice your spirit. Now listen, Elijah was the most spirited man Israel had had as a prophet. And here Elisha is. How can I prove that to you? Go read about him. Go read how John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elisha said, I want twice your spirit. Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. But if you see me go, if when God sends his chariot down to take me, if you see it, you're going to get it. And it says he saw him leave. And his mantle fell off Elijah on the ground. Can you imagine Elisha being there? Now listen, I read the Bible very slowly. I'm a slow reader. 
He's looking at that mantle. He picks up that mantle of Elijah. He walks back to the Jordan River. Smacks the water and says, Where's the God of Elijah? And the water divided. And Elisha had twice the spirit of Elijah. We know that because later, after Elisha was buried, was dead and gone, and his bones were down there in the bottom of a hole, there was a battle being fought in that area, and a dead soldier was tossed in, and he fell down in that hole, down, 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 and landed on the bones of Elisha and revived. Elisha could raise men from the dead when he was dead. That's twice the spirit. That boldness. How can we have that boldness? Get down on your knees in your prayer closet, whatever your prayer closet is, and beg God for a greater measure of His Holy Spirit. Point number two for our church to be great. Beg Him for the Holy Spirit. Do you know, are you willing to admit to God right now that usually in your prayers there are things like health, wealth, houses, and jobs rather than the Holy Ghost? Those things don't even compare. Help us, Lord, as a church and as families and as individuals to pray boldly for more of the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything without the Holy Spirit, but you can do all things by Him. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah chapter 4. Oh yes. Thank you, Heavenly Father. He is the candlestick of this church. That means He's the life, the light, the vitality, and the wisdom of our church. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is what the kingdom of God is all about. He is the Holy God of heaven, and He will be your enemy if you resist Him by living in sin and not confessing your sins. God gives the Holy Spirit to baptize believers that obey Him. We don't want to grieve or quench Him. Quenching is to reduce the power, light, and heat of a fire. We don't want to quench Him. We want that fire burning and blazing in us. We don't want to grieve Him where He is offended with our wicked, carnal, worldly, spiritually, spiritual adultery lifestyle where He turns to be our enemy. Joy is the, by the fruit of the Spirit. John, the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, leaped for joy. Right. Now that's power. When a baby leaps for joy in his mother's womb because Mary, the mother of our Lord, spoke to the mother Elizabeth of John the Baptist. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We want to do things. We want to pray for a great portion of God's Spirit, just like Elisha prayed of Elijah for his spirit. Rather than abuse spirits, wine, and strong drink, as the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 5, we want to emphasize the Holy Spirit. Right. Now that's a mood-altering power. Amen. Yes, God allows a moderate use of mood-altering chemicals because the Bible says so. Jesus used it often. That's why He was accused of being a wine-bibber by His enemies. He was different from John the Baptist. John the Baptist drank water and ate grasshoppers and honey. John the, Jesus was different And Luke chapter 7 tells us that. But we want to emphasize the Holy Spirit of God. We want our lives not to vex Him, as it's described in Isaiah 63. We can vex God when He reveals truth to us and we don't live in the light of that truth. We vex Him. Has anybody ever vexed you? Has anybody ever irritated you? We can irritate God. We can vex Him. Lord, save us from ever doing that. We need to pray for the spirit of revelation. When we sit down to read the Bible, we want to ask Him to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of that precious book. When we sin, we need to confess and turn from it, begging God to leave His Spirit with us and not to take Him away. Oh, there's more that we can and should do to keep the Holy Spirit of God. We need to avoid any hypocrisy. For consider Ananias and Sapphira, when they came in and lied to Peter, Peter told them twice, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? When you come into this church and pretend that you're something that you're not, you're not lying to men, though you are. You're lying to someone more important, the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is the candlestick of this church. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the church. Lord, save us from doing any 
such thing. Two things that we've covered so far. And the third one that we want today is prayer. The first one is Christ central. Jesus Christ preeminent. It's all about Him and not us. It's all about Him. We determined as a church that we don't want to know anything in comparison to learning about our Lord Jesus Christ and to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to take those steps to confess our sins and to live a holy life and to live in in His light and to bear His fruit to have more of the Holy Spirit in us personally and in this church. We want to know where the power comes from. The power does not come from a larger electrical panel installed on the back that runs the amplifiers of the praise band. Many churches have made up for the lack of the Holy Spirit by an increase in the volume level and decibels of the noise. Lord, help us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word for us to give Him a spiritual New Testament temple exceeding magnifical and of fame and glory for His honor and praise. May Jesus Christ be praised.